You want to know how to quickly divide people? Start talking about abortion. It's admittedly something to which I don't give much thought. And that's easy for me to say, I'm a man. I don't even know the right language to use when talking about it because so many words and phrases implicate which side of the debate you are on. But almost everyone I come across, men included, has a polarized opinion on the topic of abortion. From the question over when life begins to what is the impact on and the right of the mother. At its core, abortion is about a human experience. One that some would argue involves universal human emotions. The feelings of fear, doubt, change, control. But too often we root ourselves in the morality and not the humanity of this unique experience. How does one even begin to share their story on something that so many people see as black and white? After going through the experience herself, Rebecca felt like it was her duty to share what so many people talk about, but so few people listen to. I'm Tai Chu, and this is Listen for a Change, a podcast amplifying the unique stories from the invisible among us. We find the voices you don't often hear. We empower them to heal around their experiences using storytelling and we turn up the volume to open up all of our hearts and minds. This isn't just storytelling. This is an intervention to restore compassion. Rebecca has that kind of wry wit that I would gravitate to at a party. Her radiant smile and approachable charm makes her one of the easiest people to talk to. But when she first reached out to us about sharing her abortion experience, she was hesitant. And the reason wasn't about the experience itself. It was around her relationship with her partner and his family. Many of you will not agree with the decision Rebecca made in this story, but we urge you to set aside any judgment. I challenge you to focus on the human elements of her experience, whether you agree with it or not. It happened. Here now, we listen to Rebecca's story as it was told at our February 2018 Story Hour in San Francisco. So tonight, my story is my love story. It was the summer of 2012, and I was living in Austin, Texas, and I was, thank you, Uh, welcome, Uh, and I was going to my weekly trivia night. One of our regulars couldn't make it, and so my friend invited this guy who was friends with her ex-boyfriend or something. Uh, we sat down and we started playing, and he knew everything about A League of Their Own. (laughs) And he knew everything about former presidents. And by round three, I was like completely in love. Um, And three weeks later, I knew I was like completely pregnant. Uh, so I went down to thank you, uh, uh, the dollar store and I bought a two-pack of pregnancy tests, like you do, like I had done before, nervously and paranoid and telling myself, like, you're just paranoid, this is going to be fine. Um, and I went to my bathroom, peed on the stick, and if you've not had the pleasure of taking a pregnancy test before, 
they, on the packaging, say like, wait three to five minutes. It can be really blurry. Like, don't look at it. You know, like, it, it'll be fine. I peed on this, pulled it out, and it was like, you are fucking pregnant. <laughs> it was the clearest line I've ever seen. And I was just like, oh, like, I feel really stupid for all those other times I took a pregnancy test and then, like, took the other one just to make sure. I was like, no, this is, like, very clearly pregnant. And so I called Daniel, the guy from Trivia, and asked him to come over. Uh, and I told him I was pregnant, and he sheepishly was like, should we get married? Uh, and I like laughed hysterically in his face and confidently told him I am going to get an abortion. Uh, and I think that I, I like to think that I saw relief flash across his face. Uh, but I don't know if that's true, and it didn't matter, because I decided a long time ago, if I ever got knocked up, I was doing this. As much as I was Twitter-pated with this guy, like, I barely knew him. And <laughs> I had just started my career, and, like, there was no way that this was happening. And so I did what so many people do. I called my Planned Parenthood that I'd been going to for years, and I was like, I need to make an appointment for an abortion. And they were like, oh, we don't do that here. And I was like, excuse me? Uh, uh, and that's when I found out that the majority of Planned Parenthoods do not offer comprehensive abortion services. In fact, in California, as of right now, 30% of Planned Parenthoods offer surgical abortions. Um, but I digress. Uh, so yeah, so I did what any millennial, I guess, does and started Googling. And I spent hours researching on the internet. I went through all the medical jargon about like what were the pros and cons of a medical abortion versus a surgical abortion. I waded through all of the laws that Texas had in place, of which there are many, um, just so that I would be prepared. I sifted through websites for crisis pregnancy centers uh, that promised to help me make my choice and offered free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests, uh, followed by complete and total misinformation that abortions would give you breast cancer. Uh, eventually I found a real clinic and I read through every single one of their Yelp reviews. Uh, thank you everyone who like writes a Yelp review about their abortion experience. Like, I don't know who you are, but like, oh, angels. Um, so I read all the reviews and at the end of the day I ended up picking a clinic because they had a price list and I knew that I could afford the $450 that they listed online. Uh, so a week later I went to my first appointment. I went by myself because I knew that this was not going to be the real appointment. I knew that I was going to have to wait 24 hours like I was prepared. And so they did the state mandated vaginal ultrasound to confirm that I was pregnant. They confirmed that I was at four weeks, and I was like, yeah, I know. Uh, and, uh, and then they were like, so you're going to have to come back two weeks later because we can't actually do this until we can see the yolk sac, as it's described to me, um, because Texas will not let you do it until you can see the sac and see a fetal heartbeat. And I was devastated. Um, because by this point, I was already feeling so many of the side effects of being pregnant. I could not keep anything down. I was throwing up at work 
multiple times a day and was pretty sure everyone knew, which was terrifying. And I was just like, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. And as supportive as Daniel was throughout that time, like there was just no way that he was gonna be able to empathize like how I how my body felt. My body felt like it was being invaded by an alien or a parasite, and it was like no longer my own. And so I went back to the old Google and I typed in what to expect when you're reporting. And I found this Tumblr uh, with the byline that I don't want to fuck up actually. So uh, it said, I'm 23, I'm knocked up, I'm not keeping it, you can fuck yourself, Judd Apatow. <laughs> and I was like, I have found my person. Uh, and I ended up reading every post she put up there at least twice. Uh, she wrote about the same painful all day sickness that I was going through. She wrote about how ironic it was that she like could not keep down any alcohol whatsoever. Like that was like the first, like immediately throw it up. And it's like, I'm not keeping this. Like, shouldn't I be able to get drunk? Like, this isn't fair. Um, and she, she documented every detail of every clinic visit. And with each post, I felt more prepared for what that visit was gonna look like, what it was gonna feel like, and less and less alone. Uh, so finally, the day of my appointment came, and we, me and Daniel, went to the clinic together. Uh, we drove past and walked past the crowd of protesters, because they're there every day, with their posters of fetuses and rosaries and pamphlets directing you to the fake clinics. Uh, I put my head down and walked as quickly as possible to the door where we buzzed in uh, and walked through what I'm pretty sure is a bulletproof door. And we sat in the waiting room for hours with not much else to do except look at the other people in the waiting room. Uh, there was another couple that was about our age uh, that wasn't really making eye contact with anyone, but they'd clearly been crying. Uh, there was a woman with two small children climbing all over her and the rest of the clinic and she smiled at me when I sat down and I will never forget that smile. Uh, and then there was a girl that was up at the desk and she was kind of screaming at the lady behind it asking how the fuck was she supposed to come up with $500 overnight? She needed this now and what was she supposed to do? And that was the first time in all of my Googling and all of my research that I ever heard of an abortion fund, which is an incredible, there are so many of them, they're incredible nonprofits, they help people pay for their abortions, they'll also help pay for transportation or set it up, they're incredible. If you have not heard of them, go check them out. They're magical people. Um, so then finally, uh, they called me back, it was my turn. And I walked into a dimly lit room and laid down and I looked up and someone had like painted a ceiling tile to look like the sky. And I was like, okay, that's nice. Um, and then they gave me an IV uh, of twilight sedation, which was something that I opted into and paid extra for uh, based on uh, my like stranger Tumblr BFF's recommendation. And 
I remember the sound of the machine. I remember it turning on. But other than that, I, I don't remember anything except people, the people working there being really nice to me. Um, and it was all in all like pleasant, like OK experience in my head. Um, and then we went home. And it was incredible how immediate my body felt like mine again. Like all of the symptoms went away and I was just relieved like I was me again. Um, and so I went to a follow-up appointment uh, and checked in and things were fine. And uh, after that, life kind of went back to normal. Me and Daniel kept dating, kept falling in love. A couple of months later, he moved in and things were really good. Um, that was until I started realizing just how pro-life his parents are. He had told me that they were, but I kind of brushed it off like, yeah, this is Texas, like, <laughs> like I'm used to it. Uh, like, no big deal. Uh, but they are very hardcore pro-life. Uh, some examples. They drove a car with the pro-life license plate. Uh, one night when we went over for dinner, we were greeted with a poster of a fetus in the entryway, one of the protest posters. I learned that the grand majority of their charitable giving went to their local crisis pregnancy centers. It really hit me though when they found out that I was pro-choice and his dad kind of cornered me in their kitchen and he said, Around 30 years ago, we brought home a woman, a pregnant woman, from, I don't think he called it the crisis pregnancy center, but it was a crisis pregnancy center, uh, when Daniel was a baby. And she wasn't sure that she wanted to have this baby or keep it, but Daniel was such a good baby that he, quote, saved his first life before he was six months old. And she decided to keep it. So that's when I realized that they would think that I killed their grandchild. And I sunk into this extreme anxiety and extreme fear and extreme depression even. And I started not posting about the things that I cared about on social media. I avoided any kind of controversial conversation with them and I just kind of like turned myself off and the worst part of it was I really questioned whether or not I could officially become part of that family and whether or not me and Daniel should be together at all. But then there's Daniel who was like supportive. There is not a word to describe like how incredibly supportive he has been to me. Um, he held me and told me everything was going to be okay when I was crying hysterically, saying, they're going to disown you. They're going to disown you because of me. And he went to every protest with me and held my hand. He nurtured this calling that I felt in myself to work in abortion access and reproductive justice areas. He helped me dream these crazy ideas about how we could help people navigate getting an abortion. And eventually, 
we found an idea that we really liked and built it together. And it's called iDNA.com. It is a user-friendly, mobile-first, teen-aware, and gender-inclusive website for people seeking abortions. And once we launched it, he encouraged me to quit my job and work on it full-time. And it has just been the most empowering and therapeutic thing that I've ever done. And through it, I talk to dozens of people every week who are preparing for actively going through, as is the case with medical abortion, or processing theirs. And talking with them about their hurdles, both logistical and emotional, and hearing their stories, it washes away the fear I have with his parents. And they are the reason why I'm standing up here today. I'm still petrified um, that his parents will find out and that they will see this video. Um, I definitely googled like how to like do a really subtle disguise. <laughs> uh, at one point. Um, and there's a reason why I'm not using my last name. Uh, like, the fear and the shame and the stigma are so pervasive, not just with his family, but within this culture as a whole. Um, but every day, that starts becoming something that I'm more and more okay with because I know in my core that trying to help people have a better abortion experience and understand their options and everything else is exactly what I am supposed to be doing right now in this moment in time. Thank you. Um, and I know that no matter what happens, I have Daniel, who is now my lawfully wedded spouse, who will always be my family and my partner on this mission. So thank you so much. I ring the doorbell of Rebecca's apartment on an unusually warm day in San Francisco. It had been some time since Rebecca first told her story, and I had so many questions about everything that's happened since. Oh my gosh. Hi. Has she had the conversation with her in-laws yet? How does she feel about the current state of abortion legislation in the U.S.? We sit down on her couch, and we catch up. My first question, obviously, is do they know? No. <laughs> Do Daniel's parents know? <laughs> no, no, they don't. That moment hasn't happened yet. No, it hasn't happened yet. Um, I have been talking more openly with my sister-in-law about it, okay. um, which has been really cathartic and good. Um, so one, like generally, not yeah. personally. No. So I, one of my sister-in-laws um, is this. Uh, super incredible uh, 
badass lawyer. Like, she's totally liberal. Like, and so we've always known that we've been on the same team. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I told my story, I've been... Well, I, com- I opened up to her about my own abortion and have been able to open up to her more about my feelings about our in-laws um, mm. and how like stressful at times it is for me to like live this kind of dual life. Um, and yeah, I don't know if that would have happened on the timeline that it did like without starting this process of telling my story more. Mm. Do you know if she does any like speaking out? With oh, her with parents? That? Because she's in more of a position than you are. They right? aren't her parents. They're her in-laws too. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So we, we have. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. This, the brothers have a type. Yeah. This, we, <laughs> yeah. We formed this daughter-in-law coalition. <laughs> um, yeah. And can I ask, do they, so do they have all boys? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> so but, there's like no voice from within that could yeah, yeah. be like kind of a, a, you know, just like an easier pathway of communication. Because you know how it is. Like the closer you are to somebody, the more likely they are to just listen to you. Listen yeah. and disagree even, right? But like just to listen to you. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Uh, there is no path from within. And if anything, the other brothers families reinforce the other side of the argument i guess um so do you ever feel like like how necessary is this to be open to them about your beliefs and who you are and you know you might you may never actually tell them that you yourself got an abortion but like just to be do you think it's worth it? I guess is my question. Um, because they can just go on not knowing and yeah. they can just be fine and dandy. Like they're not your parents. Yeah, you know? exactly. They're not my parents. I think the the thing for me, especially when I was focusing full time on I need an A, like I felt like I was lying to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it's like, how's the freelance life going? It's like, well, I'm not, you know, yeah, good. I guess I have some cool clients. Like, you know, it is lying. Like, you're omitting this huge part about your life. And that, for me, felt bad. Mm. Um, I didn't feel good about that. And that was part of my decision to... Or it went into the, like, mental calculus of saying, I'm not going to work on INeedAnAid.com full-time for a while. Um, There were a lot of other things that went into that decision, too. But that impacted it. Like I felt like crap because I was lying to them um, and felt like I was living this double life. Um, so I think that's not a small thing. It's not trivial. Um, and that matters. I think for them, it does. it's none of their business. It doesn't matter if they ever know. Um, I think for the movement, like the greater uh, social good even, there are a lot of people that are, um, that would argue like it is my responsibility to tell them and like, def- and, and maybe by 
them realizing that, oh, yes, in fact, everyone loves someone that has had an abortion. I could change their minds. Like, mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of people that could argue that it's my responsibility. I think in the same way that, like, lying to them felt bad, like, the consequences of that feel so potentially great that, like, the risk just doesn't make it. The, the pros don't outweigh the risk for me, personally. So that's kind of where I am. It's this, like, no man's land mm-hmm. um, of, like, just kind of keeping the peace. Yeah. And, like, doing my best and investing where, investing my energy where I think it makes sense. I'm, I'm curious. I, I'm a man, so this will never be something that I'll really understand or have to potentially even go through. Um, but when I think about it, the heartbeat thing is really meant to hit you emotionally. Oh, yeah. Well, it's right? meant to hit the public emotionally. Yeah. For a person actually trying to get an abortion, it hits them in the... It's a full-on ban. Like, knowing that you're pregnant at four weeks is incredibly rare. And I say that mm. as someone who did... Um, it is like super crazy that, that you would know that early. Um, and then being able to get an appointment and everything like that's just kind of unheard of, uh, because like periods are weird. Like even if you're the most regular person in the world, like Mm -hmm. there's a time where like, yeah, Oh, two weeks later, whatever. Like you just go about your day. So like a six week ban is essentially an abortion ban in like biological practice for your body conceiving you realizing it being able to make an appointment that's what it is um and then to have to see the heartbeat then oh yeah right yeah yeah. like that is it's it's there to yeah can i ask you what that felt like for you um emotionally like did it because you know you you did already talk about how like you had a lot of the information, you went into it kind of buffered in a sense, yeah, right? Yeah, so like yeah. a lot of That's the tactics, mm-hmm. but that is an emotional appeal. And sometimes that's really hard for most people, but I, I, I guess just asking you, what was uh, that like? I think for me, so the way that they do the ultrasound is it is a like vaginal ultrasound. So you have a like probe shoved up you so Mm. that was more what was on my mind (laughs) than than anything happening on the screen if I'm being really honest um yeah that's an overshare but like I was like yeah whatever (laughs) um can we like yeah you're like let's just get this done because this is uncomfortable and I didn't really ask for this yeah yeah and and that's the I there are a lot of people that uh argue that even that like that vaginal ultrasound is not necessary Mm. at that point like it's it's not necessary in order to have an abortion I think there are some some doctors that are like, so, yeah, no, yeah. I, I think that it is. I mean, despite but, abortion, abortion can be like super invasive, right? And then there's also ways in which you can do that are less invasive. But to have to go through that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's the, it's like. It's like like it or not, right? Yeah. You have to have this, yeah. this ultrasound operation. Yeah. Like it or not, the state required, Ugh. like the state did this to me, like, kind of a thing. And it's like, oh, that is I'm messed just, up. I'm just, yeah. This is, as somebody who's, <laughs> who doesn't have a uterus and vagina, I'm just like, ah, I can't yeah. imagine if, like, but see, men are, men are control, and we would never allow, can you imagine, yeah. like, yeah, we would never allow this to happen yeah. to us. Yeah. For any reason. 
so. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, that's the even, I don't know, like birth control is kind of on my mind right now too. And I'm like, yeah. if men had to do this, I guess like fear is something that when it comes to abortion access, like I've just stopped having time for like, and, and I think I obviously like don't speak for everyone that is like fighting for abortion access or, uh, part of the greater reproductive justice movement whatsoever. But I think that there are a lot of people within that movement that are like, yeah, bro's going to fall. We accept that abortions are going to keep happening. It's just going to get harder. And so how do we prep for when it's harder? It's already hard. It's already effectively banned and completely out of reach for a lot of people in this country. So like, how do you make it better for them? And so that's more of, I'm like, yeah, it's, I, I see a future 100% where that happens. 100% where, you know, 30% of the states abortion is completely banned. And then it comes to how do we get people to the place where it's not? And not just the people who can afford to get to the place where it's not. Yeah. Like, how do we support them? And and so that's, yeah, where where I focus. And there are a lot of people who do focus on the, the advocacy and the politics and the legislation of it. And thank whatever holy power you believe in or higher power you believe in that they are there doing it. That's not my, like, strong suit. My strong suit is that, like, you have a problem right now. How do I help right now? How do we make this a little bit better? Right. Um, how do we improve it just a little bit each time? Um, so that's my mindset and where I focus. Um, aside from what you spoke about, your story that you told, and we like to ask all of our storytellers this question, what is that one story of your life? What is your untold story? The story that you carry with you and it might have been a moment or an experience that really changed you either for better or worse at the time that most people don't know about when you're walking down the street um I think for me uh that story is taking care of my aunt as she was dying of pancreatic cancer a few years ago. Um, she never had children. Um, she's my dad's only sister. So we were like her kids. Um, and I always looked up to her so much as a woman, like here she was this strong woman, like, you know, she's married for a little bit, but then divorced, like, she did what she wants. She was never tied down by anything. Like, cool career. Um, and then at 56, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Mm. Like, now. Like, Easter time. Oh, um, and she was kind of in denial about the whole thing for a while. Um, a while being, like, a couple months. But, uh, yeah, I mean, she passed away at the end of June. So it was really fast, really fast, really fast. Um, and I was able to, um, basically spend the month of June with her and with my mother, um, taking care of her. And I think that 
helping someone die, right? Like that's, uh, it's something that, like if you ever have the, there are two kinds of people in the world. For me, that's it. Someone who's helped someone die and has been there and the people who haven't. And everyone, you know, God willing, lives long enough to help someone die. Uh, and that just completely changes the way that you see everything. Um, How did it change you? Uh, I mean, it certainly made me stressless about things that, like, don't matter. Like, the ability to, in the moment, go, am I going to care about this in six months, a year, ten? No. Then I'm not going to care about it now. Um, that that muscle's a lot stronger. Um, I think not putting up with stuff that makes me miserable. Like, after that experience, I came back and, like, quit my job, like, <laughs> pretty soon after because I was commuting so much and I hated my commute so much at the time. And I was like, life's too short. Um, I mean, that's the, here's a woman who, you know, worked her butt off and was preparing to have this glorious retirement of travel and she didn't get it. Um, I think it also made me really understand the value and I mean, I, I've always valued my family um, and loved my family. In that moment, I understood, like, the purpose of family, too. Like, we were her only family. Um, and she had been pushing us away for, like, the year prior. Um, so my, my grandma, her mother, my dad's mother had passed away the June before. Um, and that really split my aunt and my dad apart. It, it became this really huge fight over, you know, stupid quibble stuff like who gets this book kind of a thing. And um, it was just, you know, they were processing becoming orphans in their own way, even as adults. Like that's a really, I can't imagine kind of thing. Um, and it, it really tore them apart for, you know, however long that was, like seven, eight months or whatever. Um, and then this thing happened and we were the only people that she had to turn to. Um, and that ability to just be like, yeah, okay, like we had a rough time, we're here. Um, what do we need to do? We're together, we're gonna take care of you. Uh, was really beautiful. Um, and to watch I mean, it wasn't even that year. Like, the, my aunt was a complicated woman um, who was super complicated to my mother. <laughs> um, and I watched for a month my mother take care of this woman that had treated her kind of like crap for decades. Uh, like, you have to a baby. I mean, when you're dying, like, yeah. someone needs to clean you. Uh, yeah. Someone needs to feed you. And watching your own mother do that and be so selfless in a way that like she was so selfless with you, but you have no memory of it mm. because you're an infant it was really beautiful. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Um, and I think that really, and especially to watch my mother do that to someone who, who I'd idolized so much as a woman, as a strong woman. And then to see like 
oh no, there's this real strength in this woman that I love so much, but I had never really celebrated her motherhood as the, or like wanted, like looked at that and, and said, I want to be like that when I grow up. Um, but I had with my aunt and I don't know, that was just such a, like as a, as a woman, a little bit of a mind fuck and, uh, and really beautiful and really like inspiring and really changing. It, it changed me. I came back and I was like, yeah, I, I've been really focused on my career and who I want to be as this individual. And this experience made me realize that, no, like I do want to like grow my family and I, this matters and it's, it's not just about me and what I'm getting out of this life. It is this collective mm. and yeah, I do want to be like my mom when I grow up kind of a thing. It's beautiful. Thank Thanks. you for sharing that. No problem. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the organization that you chose to represent? Yeah. Which also is an organization that you do represent. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So the, the project is called I need Um, we're a website that tries to make it as easy and stress-free to find abortion services in the United States as possible. Currently, just the United States, I think that we're going to look at expanding to Canada pretty soon because there's a huge like anti-wave that's building there. Mm. Um, and so it's becoming harder to navigate that medical system as well. Um, so yeah, so we have the... Um, largest and most up-to-date database of abortion providers in the U.S. We have every state law, every state's laws, even as they're changing. Um, we also have a, a pretty comprehensive database of abortion funds and practical support networks um, that if you can't afford an abortion or if you need someone to, like, help watch your kids because the clinic doesn't let kids in, um, these local on-the-ground nonprofits can can help. Um, it can sometimes be hard to find those folks too. So we put it all in one place and you as the user can come to the website and say, I'm in this zip code. Um, I'm this age. I think that I'm this far along. Uh, and we're able to return clinics that, uh, you know, go up to that gestational age. Cause not mm. everyone does. We're able to filter by medical versus surgical. So if you're under 10 weeks, you can make that choice. After 10 weeks, you have to do surgical, um, medically and legally. Um, and, uh, so yeah, we can aggregate the clinics based on that. Uh, if you're a minor, a lot of states require parental consent. And if you can't get parental consent, you need to start a judicial bypass process, um, which is not trivial. And for a 16 year old, probably pretty scary. Um, so we're able to connect with lawyers and all of that. Um, so we're trying to create this like safe haven, haven switchboard of abortion, um, because there are all these disparate sources that don't talk to each other. And then on top of that, like not only are, are clinics and these funds and everything else disparate, uh, on the internet and in Google ads, uh, and in Yelp intermixed with real clinics, you have these crisis pregnancy centers that look like real clinics um, that are saying, come in for a free pregnancy test, free ultrasound, we'll help you. 
Um, their goal is to talk you out of having an abortion. Um, and there are, are stories of, of people at those crisis pregnancies, pregnancy centers explicitly lying to people about how far along they are so that they think they have more time and then you get past a certain point and guess what even in california i think it's 22 weeks we can't help you so then you have to go to colorado Mm -hmm. and so they're trying to like run out the clock Mm -hmm. um i have not experienced that so i don't know uh if that's true or not but there are stories out there um so in every state, you have these crisis pregnancy centers that are trying to get you to come to them instead of an abortion clinic on the internet. Uh, and so we're trying to get higher than them in Google ad ranks. Do you list those centers? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, well, not like as yeah. an option, but hey, these are, you know, maybe with like a rating or like, hey, this is some of the, you know, misinformation that we've heard or know that this center is if there's promoting a, yeah if there's a crisis pregnancy center that's um just so, so that, people can select it out you yeah know? yeah so they're they change their names really regularly mm. so getting a database of them that is like accurate is really hard mm. um if they're so there are a lot of them that will like take up an office in the same like shopping center as a real abortion clinic so they're like next door to each other basically if that's the case then we list that information associated with the abortion clinic so we're like be careful yeah we're we're on your way there yeah we're (laughs) sending you to women's clinic do not go to woman clinic like and like they try to make the name look the same too like it is this explicit so in that case we do say don't go there um go here because this is where you actually want to go um i I have been thinking about trying to um, uh, build a kind of, do you know, let me Google that for you? No, but I can imagine what that is. Well, yeah, (laughs) so it's a website where you can go, you can like create this path um, uh, that shows a video to someone that like, if someone asks you a question, you can send them a let me Google that for you, and you like type in the question, and it sends them the oh, whole. Oh, that's like, funny. Anyway, <laughs> um, that's that's actually not super relevant to what I'm trying to say, but it just like came into my mind. Anyway, I've been thinking about building this uh, like web scraper bot kind of thing that you could you could go to this web page and you could type in the URL for the clinic. Um, so like that. Woman, woman health fake clinic. Okay, mm-hmm. if I type in woman health that fake clinic dot com, the the website can run through the website really quickly and give you a like. Here's the percentage of like confidence we have that this is a real clinic or not. So a lot of these crisis pregnancy centers will never actually like say abortion on their website, or or they they say like this may cause breast cancer. Like kind of like they start listing some of those like fake talking points um so if we could have a scraper go through and like check for those fake talking points and then say like mm-hmm. we found three we're like 90 percent confident that this is not a real clinic don't go there check out i need an a.com instead yeah um that's something that i've been thinking about building and, and if anybody else wants to build it go for it <laughs> <laughs> or I join have, you in i don't the have effort. time um, and that is i need and can you spell that yeah, out yeah i n e e d a n a.com so it stands for i need an abortion um but one of the things that we're super aware of with ieda.com is that people might be looking at the website on a shared computer um and not always remember to delete their browser history or open it in in incognito so we try Mm. to 
uh, right this balance of being really good for search engine optimization and like if someone's looking over your shoulder, do they know it? Are you safe or not? Yeah. Um, so we try to like. I think I've been on the website it. a while ago. Um, obviously not needing services, but yeah. I just was like, what is this yeah. um, that you're building? And it looks very discreet. Mm-hmm. It looks generic. Yeah. And all of that is intentional. All of it is intentional. Yeah. Um, There's like no graphics or anything. No graphics. No, no pictures of people. Although that's something that, um, I'm, we're starting to explore more and more adding people's stories and being able to, um, tag stories in different ways so that yeah. you could self-select this person feels similar to me. Um, what's been the most rewarding part of doing all of this for you with I need an a, um, dot com. Sorry. You got to add a yeah, dot com. Dot com. <laughs> uh, the most rewarding. I mean, I think that anytime someone says thank you, it feels like super rewarding. Um, and there are people that um, have thanked us on Reddit or, you know, like have replied um, to a comment that someone posted and been like, wow, this, I really needed this. This is a great resource. I get super excited when abortion providers get excited about it um, because they're like, yeah, we don't, it's hard to keep track. Like we're busy doing our own thing, keeping track of what clinic is still open and what laws passed and hasn't passed. Like, ain't nobody got time for that. And, um, so they're really excited about it as a resource. That's really rewarding. Um, I don't know. I think, I think for me personally, though, the, the thing that feels most powerful is just feeling like I'm contributing a little bit to something that I can control and something that I, I'm uniquely good at, like I'm uniquely good at building websites and bringing in complicated data and, and presenting it in a way that is user friendly and being empathetic with that user and trying to build something that is better for them. Mm. Um, each time that feels, those are my skills and I feel like I'm able to contribute them to a cause that I really care about. And that just feels like the sweet spot of, what you should be doing with your life kind of a thing. Yeah. And so that's a really special feeling to when you're working on something being like, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And it, yeah, it just feels like a magical flow kind of thing. Well, it sounds like you created a really useful resource that Hopefully. just didn't exist out there before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, glad that this is out there now for people who are looking for that. Yeah. And I think that's right now the big challenge is getting it in the right people's hands. Mm. Um, so it exists. It's there trying to win that Google AdWord battle yeah. uh, is what we're digging into right now. Um, so it's, yeah, kind it's kind of a hard thing to market. Yeah, it right? is. It because is. Because it's such a sensitive well, thing and also there's just so many things around it, right? You can't like take out a billboard or like a well there's some clinics that do which are awesome but uh i mean you could but yeah i think the the interesting thing with advertising this um is the more people who know about it the more harassment you're gonna get Mm. um and so that's you as in you and the website itself the more attacks you'll get Mm. um and the more like one of the reasons why all the 
the crisis pregnancy centers websites look like the clinic websites is because the clinics are using the same like web host and so they all look the same so it's really easy to replicate so the more you get the website out there the more room there is for it to be attacked and an attempt to replicate it mm. um so yeah it's that like I want the right people to have it, but not the wrong people to have it. Right. And how do we balance that? Um, and there is, yeah, my own personal safety involved in that too. Yeah. And anonymity. Uh, so it's just a balancing act. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, be sure to check out listenchange.org to find our next in-person story hour and to learn about our storytelling workshops. And please, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Our production team for this episode is Tunde Demurin and Isaac Silk. I'm Tai Chu, and remember, a story untold is simply a thought.